0: is the Pegasus podcast presented by night sports now UCF news views and a few hot takes now here are your hosts: Bailey don't put me in the press box Adams and
1: Christian I'll fight with anyone on Twitter Simmons welcome in episode 81 be sure you're following us on Twitter at Bailey J Adams 22 at by Simmons and at night sports now Christian I'd ask you how you're doing but we have a bunch to get through. So I don't think I really care how you're doing today. This
0: this is threatening to be one of the longest podcasts we've ever done. I'm hoping we have a lot to get through. (laughs) That's not true.
1: I don't I don't not care. I just don't think I have time for how you're doing right now. That's fine. Um, I
0: never care about how I'm
1: doing. So so for the (laughs) third yikes. We're off to a great start. Um for the third straight week we're going to start with a recruiting update. And this this is the biggest one. This is the biggest one of the three. And again for the second straight week it's a positive note and it's that the Harris twins have committed to UCF Uh, Earlier today, as we're recording on Wednesday, they they committed this morning, um, committing choosing UCF over Michigan State and Maryland. And it's just a massive win for UCF and, and the recruiting world. I mean, two top 300 players by the composite rankings, both four stars, both linebackers, which is obviously a position of need. And I just it's such a positive. It's been such a positive day.
0: Yeah, I said on Twitter, I think it's safe to say that it's the biggest recruiting win in program history. I think the only one that would come, uh, come close would be landing Dante Culpepper back in the day, but it's just the circumstances were so different and the expectations. But, I mean, UCF landed two top 300 players in the same day. For all the talk we have about, oh, Cincinnati's class, Cincinnati has one top 300 player committed right now. I mean, like, <laughs> if I told you a year and a half ago, like, I'm just, when I was looking at it on 247, it's just like, yeah, UCF just landed the number 13 and number 19 linebackers in the country. Like I, I just it's still really surreal. And actually I'm kind of happy it happens because we're gonna obviously get into um since you last heard from us, college football has completely and totally exploded and we are gonna get into that. And I saw some, I just want to say real quick, because some UCF fans are like, oh, like when UC, USC and UCLA left and everything's up in the air about what college football is. Some UCF fans are like, how does this impact like the Harris twins? How does this impact recruiting? The realignment stuff going on right now does not impact recruiting in any way, shape, or form. To be totally honest, you guys would be shocked how little recruits care about or keep up with realignment. This stuff, what's happening now that we're getting sorted out, which conference teams are going to be in, you're going to feel that in recruiting in like two to three years. You're not going to feel that in this class, next class. And part of that is the current playoff format is guaranteed through 2025. None of these kids committing are going to be around when any of these changes we're discussing take effect. So that was never in question. UCF felt like they were in a really good position for the Harris Twins for a really long time. Um, I just feel like this is even more important, not because getting two players this highly rated. And frankly, I think they're freaking awesome. And I think they're close to campus players. But UCF had been in, we talked about in the past, UCF's been a little bit of a funk recruiting wise. They lost Isaiah Nixon to Florida, which was, you know, unfortunate, but they've also been missing on the guys that they kind of felt like they were supposed to be landing. Now there've been a few misses on guys that, you know, ended up at mid tier power fives. There's another one coming up that's probably going to be a miss by UCF that was supposed to um, – a couple weeks ago I mentioned when we were talking about Isaiah Nixon de- uh, decommitting, I said, well, UCF probably hopefully going to get some good news soon. I wasn't talking about the Harris Paris Twins. I was talking about a guy that then committed to UNC. So it's just kind of yeah. like this was a really needed win. And, I mean, the – This is the first time really since Gus got here that UCF's been at the top of like the national conversation for recruiting. They're the big recruiting story today. So that momentum can just help, I feel like, and hopefully help land Braden Marshall, who's another four-star soon, and things like that.
1: I mean, you had, it was such a big recruiting, you know, a big part of recruiting news today. You had Miami fans trolling Florida fans about a UCF recruiting win, even though Florida wasn't even really involved. But I don't know if Miami fans are going to troll Florida fans for something that we did. I mean, sure, cool
0: which listen part of the part of what we don't want to like discuss
1: is a uh, uh, main reason UCF got the Harris twins is cuz none of the big 3
0: in Florida were involved in their recruitment um, on both sides so that's whatever but yeah hey Miami fans are allies who would have thought i do have to say though it really came down to UCF and Michigan State i went to the Michigan State VIP 247 board to see what's going on and my favorite comment was they're going to a mac level school without the tuesday night games unfortunate um <laughs> And my other one was great for them that they want to stay local and play in dying conferences. Congrats to them. So clearly Michigan state fans are handling very well that uh, we didn't want the Florida players away. Yeah, Actually, we didn't want always... them anyway there were some of those they're like these were pretty low priority for us i'm like really you're michigan state
1: like comment yeah, hey down. really why were you watching their commitment
0: live stream then with the live the, like... stream live chat got ugly you see how oh. fans in michigan state fans were getting really vicious with each other as we're just sitting there waiting for the harris twins mom to show up for like a half hour
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it wasn't uh it wasn't pretty in there but it's just it's always so funny when you you because i remember when when titus uh, Mokio Atamalala committed last yeah. year. Remember the, the chat for that one? People were like, USC Why would he fans ever, why would he like, ever UCF?
0: Then they got nervous <laughs> when whoever was using the camera accidentally panned to the side and you saw his whole family dressed in UCF gear for half a second <laughs> before it panned back.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if that was going to happen. Something like that was going to happen today. I don't know. It was, uh,
0: they that also, I
1: have to point out, they committed to the University of UCF, which is my favorite thing. I love when recruits do that It's because great. it builds the suspense. And then they just say that in, instead of going to Central Florida, there's like UCF, which I was well, like, one Leonard of them Fournette actually did the same thing at LSU. It was he, the University he, of LSU. Yeah, he goes the University of LSU. And it was like, ULSU. All right.
0: One of them actually scared the hell out of me because did you watch the actual moment they committed? Because I know you yeah. had a meeting. Yeah. Yeah. One of them started to say Maryland. and stopped. Did you notice that? No, I didn't. Know. Yeah. One of them goes to the University of America and then pauses. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then they take off their shirts. They're like UCF.
1: And I'm like, OK. you think it that on accident or was it like a troll moment? I didn't even know. I think it was I a troll moment. A I think oh, it okay. was a troll moment because,
0: okay. you know, sometimes you forget these are 17 year old kids and they're living it up. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, just huge. And, and like, obviously, this builds momentum for the Big 12, whatever the hell conference that'll be in when UCF gets there. And, you know, just for the next few years, but on top of like all the, oh, the brand side of it and like the, what this means for UCF recruiting, it's like, they're both just really freaking good players. I yeah. mean, I was watching their highlight tape earlier and Andrew just destroys other teams. And that's exactly when he is a game breaker like that. And Michael who lines up next to him, I didn't realize Michael's a little lower rated. It's largely because Michael's just had some injury issues. So they both can be very freaking good. I said to you before the podcast started, isn't it weird that in a couple of years, a quarter or a third of UCF starting defense could be named Henderson and Harris? <laughs> just throw all the twins yeah. out there
1: <laughs> it's funny because i like it, it's just because they're not on the roster yet because like, there's still the spring roster up on the site it's like i keep forgetting about the hendersons like i keep forgetting about a lot of the guys that aren't on campus yet
0: ucf is bringing in stupid talent on defense you look at the harris twins yeah. the henderson twins nakai martinez who might start this year oh yeah um you've got Caven call coming in next year too it's like i just like uh, maybe all these guys will follow T. Will to his new coaching job in a couple of years. But I mean, like UCF's defense is like actually like bordering, like it can be like a truly elite defense in a couple of years, which is not something we've ever seen at UCF before. And you the pair that with the Malls on offense. Oh, my God. The vibes are high right now. Yep. Um, Very high. Well, for recruiting, for other fans. Yeah. And on the, so in sure. the
1: recruiting world, in the recruiting world vibes are high. Um, average player rating wise UCF's class got a huge, a huge jump i know like they jumped 20 something spots in the overall rankings but that average player rating climbed pretty pretty nice with two four stars committing
0: yeah um, it's a pretty elite player rating um you know no offense to cincinnati and their
1: um 20 person class that's filled with a lot of like low three i wasn't stars, gonna say it but, but uh, i was just i was just hey. gonna say i was just gonna say that their high, their average player rating has taken a nice jump i wasn't gonna mention that it's higher than cincinnati's but I believe, I believe
0: it's not only higher than Cincinnati's, but the highest of all the new Big Twelve teams currently. So, hey.
1: again, the odds hey, are high. I don't make the vibes rules. Odds are high on the recruiting side of things, but what we've kind of alluded to a couple times now is that college football has once again blown up in the week since we last recorded. a Week in a couple of days, um, I don't even know where to begin. I guess we begin with USC and UCLA heading to the Big Ten, and yeah. I, even still saying that and reading that, it just I still don't. It's still not registering. with me mean, just how like stupid and dumb that is like UCLA and USC as about as far west as you can get are about to be playing a bunch of Midwestern teams because geography doesn't matter anymore. Someone pointed out that Rutgers is as close to Iceland as it is to UCLA's campus. <laughs>
0: so, you know, it's funny when Texas and Oklahoma, because obviously that's what started all this. This is still the um, the, you know, the aftershock of that. Um, When Texas and Oklahoma left the SEC, it was shocking, but it like very quickly in my brain, it was like, okay, because Texas and Oklahoma are both regionally, culturally, and stature-wise very much in the vein of SEC programs. So that felt like kind of a natural fit. I have no earthly eye. Like, I can't get my head to process that USC and UCLA are Big Ten teams, and it might take a very long time, but it's going to involve an entire recontextualization of the sport because it's not just them. I mean, we're very quickly moving towards the end of college football as we know it, which is that you're going to have a super league of 18 to 20 teams. That's the big 10 and a super league of 18 to 20 teams. That's the sec. And what I'm terrified for, and a lot of people are terrified for, and some national media are very excited for because they're idiots is that that could just become college football. There is no college football playoff after the 2025 season. There's no automatic renewal. There's no, like maybe they'll just stick with four. there is no college football postseason after 2025. And the Pac-12 and ACC so graciously and smartly killed a 12-team proposal with six auto bids for conference champions that if that had been signed, would have would have codified it. And regardless of what USC and UCLA do would have been the case, that's off the books. My great fear and everyone's fear is there's really nothing stopping. And I mean, nothing stopping the SEC and Big Ten in a year from now deciding that after 2025, there will be a playoff and it will be the top big 10 teams and the top sec teams and they do not need to include anyone else now that's the worst case scenario but it's like a very real possible scenario and at that point UCF and the 90 other college football teams will not even be at the same level as this weird diet nfl that will be the sec and big 10
1: i swear it's like it's just the most boring thing ever i don't understand how anyone for for one how anyone like likes the idea of it and I don't know how anyone, like no one has the foresight to realize that like, okay, maybe this is going to be like cool and like a like, nice novelty at first for some people that there's going to be like this, like kind of second tier version of the NFL. It's like not quite like college football, but it's not also the NFL. It's going to get boring after what, a year, two years. Like it's, what's going to wear off, like the newness of it's going to wear off. And it's just going to be like, what are we doing? So this here's why,
0: here's why I think it's going to backfire and I'm going to hopefully not talk too long here, but. You know, I'm always going to be a big UCF fan and watch UCF, regardless of whether they are eligible for a national title or not. Most of my life, they weren't eligible for a national title, and that stopped me from rooting for them. Yeah. I think that's the case for most fans of teams that are being left out. I think Texas Tech fans are always going to be Texas Tech fans. I think Baylor fans will always be Baylor fans. But as I'm a huge college football fan, and I watch every game I can. If UCF is no longer in the same ecosystem as this weird Big Ten SEC thing, I don't see myself watching a lot of those games. And... What this all came down to that led to this, like this is all being driven by ESPN and Fox that's been reported that's out there. And for the longest time in college football, ESPN and Fox did not like the setup, the setup we have now that we all love that we've had for decades, and it's that Fox buys the Pac-12 contract because they want Oregon games, they want USC games, they want Washington games. It's unfortunate to Fox that in order to get those games, they also have to buy all of the Cal, Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford games, but they do it. But now they saw an opportunity to not have to do that. They wanted to cut the fat and say, if we can just get the only brands that we actually want on TV into two leagues, we can just pay a huge fee for those two leagues. And that's that. And we can create all of the TV inventory that we love. And you look at it and it's like, okay. you look at the Big Ten and you just created so many new and insane matchups, USC, Ohio State, USC, Penn State, you know, and the, the SEC, you've got Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, LSU, all these big games. One thing I don't think they're banking on is a a lot, of, like probably half of college football fans are not fans of those big brands. And I don't know that they're going to care about those games as much or watch them as much if they don't even care about their own teams as much because those teams aren't eligible for a national championship. And on top of that, those games where major brands match up are always huge TV draws because they they have gravity and are not that common. Texas Alabama is going to kick off the 2022 season, and it's probably going to do stupid TV numbers because we haven't seen those teams play in forever. I don't think they've played since the national championship game from like 15 years ago. When Texas Alabama goes from an insane kickoff game to start the season to a conference game you see every year, I have a hard time believing five or six years from now it's going to do anything like what it did now. Or Ohio State-Oregon was just a huge game this past season in the non-conference. If Oregon joins the Big Ten and that is a game you see every couple of years, it's not, I mean, when you get to the point where you're broadcasting nothing but big brand games, they don't have the appeal of being a big brand game. And no one is happy. No, I'm I'm sorry. I just got to say real quickly, no one is happy. It's been reported that no one in the Big Ten is happy that these teams are coming. Ohio State is not happy. Purdue is not happy. Northwestern is not happy. The ADs and the coaches, no one is happy. But you have to do it because if you don't take them, then they will go somewhere else. They'll go to the SEC or whatever. And you look at like the sport going forward. So let's say that the two top leagues do break off. You're going to have the 90 teams, not part of it. They are less happy. You're going to have the Purdue's, Indiana's, Kentucky's and Vanderbilt's of the world who are less happy because now they can never have a winning season. And then at the top, you're going to have the Ohio State's, Alabama's, USC's who are less happy because now you're never going to be better than eight and four and nine and three. And maybe your access to a national championship didn't change, but when you spent the first 150 years of your program, with your fans demanding undefeated, and they're no longer getting that, it's going to be an adjustment. And then you have teams like Texas that are probably just gonna be seven and five every year. So no one is happy. There's a reason college football is not the NFL. I understand there's a, I was listening to the Andy Staples show and Andy Staples was like, people don't get, you know, there is so much crossover between NFL fans and college football fans. I agree, but none of those fans were saying, gosh, I wish these two things I liked were the same. I wish they were the same product. It doesn't like, make sense. I really like Olive Garden and I really like McDonald's. I've never been like, God, I wish Olive Garden had burgers. You know, like it, it's just such a stupid argument,
1: but that's where we're at now. And, you know, just we talked about it a little bit uh, Was yeah, it was last week about how I grew up an LSU fan. I still, you know, am an LSU fan behind my UCF fandom, but I'm not any more excited. Like, I'm not excited about it. Like in terms of like the, from an LSU standpoint, I'm not excited about it. What no. is there to be excited about? What is there to be excited about?
0: Great. LSU's now an NFL team. And it's just, this, it's not even going to be like the NFL and it's not going to be like college football. The only hope, and I think this is where things will land, is I think we're going to end up with a 12 team playoff. And I think in any given year, probably nine, eight or nine of those teams are going to be from the big 10 and the SEC, because I think that even the TV networks understand that as long as you can maintain the illusion that the other leagues are involved, you can keep them interested in those bigger games. So I think that's where we'll land, but it still sucks no one yeah, wants I mean, the super leagues
1: no one wants it's them it's not it's it's not even close to bad. Like it, it's it's like objectively worse for the sport as a whole and the only people who who went out of this are what tv networks for again for the initial the initial few years maybe and then i don't think it's really going to catch like i don't think they it's going to be what they think it is but they it's really like
0: don't. i said on a past podcast and we're already getting the weeds because we've talked about what this means for ucf too not just for college football yeah. but Cause you see, cause some of the, some of the fans, not all of them, but some of the fans in these two leagues of the new teams are very happy about this just cause they're included. And I get that. If UCF got invited to the sec tomorrow, you have to take the invite, you know, that would never happen, but I'm just saying, but you see, like, I see Purdue fans on Twitter who are like, we, whatever jokes on you, we're going to be making 90 to a hundred million dollars now a year just for our team. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand how college ADs and departments and TV networks rainwashed college football fans to give a single shit about how much money their team makes. Why is that something that matters to you in any way, shape or form? Like, yes, congrats, you have more money. You're also playing fewer rivalry games. You're playing fewer teams in your region and you're losing more but, oh, your AD has a bigger salary and your president just bought a freaking beach house. So you're thrilled about it. Why, it's like, it's the most, like literally the whole idea of like America and capitalism and all that crap is like, oh, you know, we don't care about money, blah, 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 blah. And now it's like, oh, we're thrilled that our president AD have all this cash. It makes no freaking sense. It's just, I've never understood it, even a little bit.
1: And then like, this is where we take a turn and kind of talk about how this impacts UCF more directly and the big 12. And this is where we also take a turn into stuff that could be outdated by the time you're listening to this. Um, Because within the last few days of us planning this podcast and talking about what we're going to talk about, something changes, it seems like, every few hours. So I don't even really know what we want to say here. It's more that the Big 12 has reportedly been trying to add teams from the Pac-12. The Pac-12 supposedly, some of the schools have come out and said that they're Standing pat and they're, you know, going to stick with the Pac-12. Then there's this whole thing with the Pac-12 and the ACC having some sort of championship alliance, which is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I don't think they know. I think it's just it's desperation time for the Pac-12, which I feel like is a good thing for the Big 12 in terms of like if if they if you're going to play this game of of you have to expand and you have to add the teams while you can. Like it's good in that sense. But again, like what are we talking about? Good is a relative term here. So let's recap.
0: Let's recap. USC and UCLA leave for the Big Ten. Um, I just want to, from my perspective, I'm like, this is not good for the Big 12. And on Twitter, Stephen Leonard tweeted, I, he said, look for the Big 12 to poach some Pac-12 teams now that USC and UCLA are gone. And I replied to him and said, I don't see that happening. I think the other way around is just as likely. And... It, you know, in the days, in the few days since now, we've seen all these reports, including this morning by The Athletic, that the Big 12 has been in serious talks up to six-pack 12 schools, and they're being very aggressive trying to poach. And last night, when that looked like a certainty, I had all these UCF fans replying to that comment, like, oh, what do you think now? Ha ha ha, or like adding me, like, still think this. And like, first off, I, I so deeply apologize for trying to keep you guys informed on this topic that a lot of UCF fans don't keep up with regularly, and I do keep up with regularly. I really do apologize for that. You know, I'm, I'm so sorry that I put information on Twitter. How rude of me to ever assume that something could happen that would not be beautiful for UCF in college football. I'm so deeply sorry. So let me explain. You're so negative, Christian. Let me explain. I know. Clearly, it's like, I just, I can't believe that I focus on reality. Let me explain why I tweeted that. Because when USC and UCLA left the Big Ten, I looked at the Pac-12. And okay, they've still got Oregon. They've still got Washington. Those are two teams that are way bigger brands than anything the Big 12 can offer. And I think if Oregon and Washington were going to the Big 10, why would the Big 10 not have just added them with USC and UCLA? Why would they raid the Pac-12 in waves? So I say, okay, if those teams stay in the what's the now the Pac-10, that is a more valuable league from a TV perspective and a brand perspective and the Big 12 teams could be at risk. And well, would you look at what happened today? Now it looks like as people are figuring out that Oregon and Washington aren't going anywhere, the Pac-12 is looking less likely to fall apart. So I just don't, and the one thing that's changed luckily in UCF's favor is I still, I don't think that the Pac-12's in position to raid UCF, or not raid UCF, excuse me, raid the Big 12, because I think that for the Big 12 teams, what was their biggest weakness a week ago is now their biggest strength, is that none of their brands are anything that the Big Ten or SEC might ever want, so that gives them stability, and I think if you're, it was reported that last year in the Pac-12 considered expansion, they wanted a TCU in Houston. If you're TCU or Houston now, you look at the Pac-12 and you say, okay, like that's a better league and we might get a little more money, but like What happens when the Big Ten changes their mind next year and Oregon and Washington are gone? At least in we don't have to worry about that. So I don't think the Pac-12 can reverse raid the Big 12, but I am skeptical that the Big 12 can pull off what it wants to pull off. The rumor that's been reported by a lot of folks is they want the Arizona schools, they want Colorado and Utah, they want Oregon and Washington if they can get them. I don't don't get why Oregon and Washington leave the Pac-12 for the Big 12. And John Willner, who broke the USC UCLA news originally, has said that Oregon and Washington don't want to do that. That they don't. And as far as the other four, you have to convince them the Pac-12 is going to collapse. They're not coming to your league unless they're convinced of that. And as we've seen today, as every day goes by, where it becomes more clear that the Big Ten is not coming for Oregon and Washington, I don't think those four jump. So I hope I'm wrong. I really, truly do, because it would be good for UCF and great for the Big 12 if they grab those four. The Pac-12 dissolves, which is bad for college football, but go Knights charge on. And you solidify yourself as the third best conference in college football. That's great. But from the beginning, I've been super skeptical that's going to be the case. I'm sorry, guys, that I feel that way. And I'm skeptical of it now because I just don't see the motivation of Oregon and Washington aren't going anywhere.
1: Yeah, and I think you and I have had conversations like I was in Orlando this weekend and we got to talk about this in person and stuff. But it's one of those things where are the Pac-12 or Pac-10, whatever you want. I, that's the thing. They need to start changing the numbers of all these conferences. let we'll to I figure can't. who's going to be there and they'll change Yeah, they'll change the But name. I mean, they need to do it eventually. Um, but the Pac-12, Pac-10, whatever you want to call it, you have to convince them that it's not going to be a stable, con- like it's, it's not going to be in a stable condition because, yeah, maybe Oregon and Washington aren't going now, but what's to, who's to say they aren't going to be gone next year? Or two and that's what their now. chance is. And honestly, so,
0: it was about to happen. Yeah. I mean, over the weekend, I mean, the Big 12 was about to land those teams and the Pac-12 and George Klyakov pulled what actually was a brilliant maneuver and they opened their TV negotiating window which basically meant they've opened the exclusive window for Fox and ESPN to try to renegotiate their TV contract. And that was incredibly smart because they did that because it will allow them to get an actual real valuation on what their TV deal would be with these 10 members. And their point of doing it was to show to the four teams interested in departing that they will probably still make at least as much money, if not more money by staying in the Pac-12 and going to the Big 12. So that was actually a brilliant move. And what we're in the holding pattern of now is just kind of waiting to see if that works or not the big uh, the athletic report this morning that the big 12's new commissioner the big 12 are super aggressive right now they're really leaning on these teams so it might still happen and they might be able to pull, pull those four teams from the pac 12 but every day it doesn't happen it feels less likely
1: yeah i don't know i'm just i'm still skeptical about and i don't know all of the ins and outs of tv value and stuff but i'm still skeptical about what the pack new pack 10's tv value is going to be without those LA markets. It's going to be a I'm lot just, worse. I'm, but, yeah, I'm like, you know. I'm curious to know, like if it's, I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, if, if, if you're going to make the same amount of money that you're making now, then what what's the point of moving to the big 12? But I would be I surprised just... if there's much of a
0: difference. Like I, I bet those contracts would be super similar. So that's not really a move you're making for money. If you're Colorado, the Arizona's and Utah, you're making that move because you don't trust the PAC 12 to hold together. And, you know, I just, I think the domino that needs to fall is Colorado, because from what I've read, Colorado is by far the most interested in trying to get to the big 12. They came from the big 12 originally. They've had, I mean, they really, they had most of their success in their history in the big 12 when they were getting Texas recruits. They moved to the PAC 12. It's been bad since they're the one that has a lot of reasons to want to come back. So if that domino falls, I think the rest will fall, but I'm not sure if any domino is going to fall at this point
1: it's just, yeah. And it's, so
0: that's where we're at now. I mean, you, we're going to, I'm going to post this as soon as we're done just because realignment changes so much, but like, it could be a totally different situation by tomorrow. Like I said, if we recorded this 24 hours ago, literally 24 hours ago, I would have said it's close to a done deal within a few days. These four pack 12 teams will be joining the big 12, 24 hours later. It's like, you know, I don't know if they're coming. They, they probably aren't. So who fricking knows?
1: The, the thing that like, the thing that I'm looking at too, like, is it, is if those don't, if those schools don't come to the big 12, I don't think I'm going to be upset. Like, I think it'll be good for college football. And I don't necessarily think it will be bad for UCF. But I don't know. It just, you never know. Because within, within a year, again, things could change again. And it's,
0: could... I mean, it, what it comes down to, it's very bad for UCF if the Pac-12 then goes on the offensive and says, we're going right. to buy fill up Big 12 schools. Like I said, I just, given, I, given how st- stable the Big 12 is now and how not stable the Pac-12 is, I don't buy any Big 12 schools wanting to make that jump. But the way I look at it is if they come, it's very good for UCF because the Big 12 solidifies itself pretty firmly as the third best league in college football. If they yeah. don't come, Big 12 might be as worse as fifth. But on the flip side, as you just said, it is better for college football if the Pac-12 doesn't collapse. Like I'm not if, rooting for the downfall of a century-old
1: conference. Like the, the West Coast needs yeah. a
0: college football presence.
1: <laughs> if the Big 12 and the Pac-12, as they sit right now, like in terms of the, the members they have, as they are right now as we're talking, if they both are stable and stay the way they are fine. Cool. Yeah. I just, yeah, like you said, as long as it's not a thing where any big 12 schools look to move, which I, yeah, I don't, I just don't see it happening, which of course, all of this stuff you could say, Oh, I don't see this happening and then it happens. So I don't know what what we do. It is going to be the, uh, probably another domino to fall in the future, which obviously not now, but there are some teams in the ACC that I'm sure are ripe for the picking in terms of, the sec's future the big tens future so out of it'll the be... acc
0: so if you don't follow this stuff super closely the acc has a grant of rights which means that teams can't leave without forfeiting their tv rights which is like why no one's leaving and that runs through the mid-2030s so i'm sure that lawyers of many of those schools are trying to figure it out right now but um the athletic actually got the contracts which was a pretty big deal and they went through them and were, and they had a lawyer look over them and the lawyer was like i don't really see a way out so we'll see what happens there but the, the acc is actually in the worst situation because All their big brands would desperately love to leave. The only way to hold them together is the grant of rights. But the flip side of the grant of rights is that the ACC is locked into a TV contract that does not have much value through the 2030s. So you either break up the TV contract to get your real value, but then the grant of rights is gone. Your top brands can leave, (laughs) or you keep your top brands and end up as the poorest power conference. So, but Clemson, Florida State, Miami, UNC would be gone tomorrow if that grant of rights didn't exist. So, yeah, it's
1: kickoffs in eight weeks.
0: Yeah. Can we stop with the realignment? We've got a season. Now? We've got a season in eight let's, weeks. Let's talk about preseason stuff. It is like, I usually love realignment. Like we talked about this last year. Like it's just very interesting to me. And I love like getting into it and reading it all the time. But this wave has just been like because the the actual like soul of the sport has not been at stake before and it kind of is now. And
1: I'm not loving that.
0: So yeah, like I mean
1: when it's been a lot. When a and Missouri went from the Big 12 to the SEC, I was like, okay, cool. I like, can be kind of interesting when it's like seismic shifts like this, it's not as fun. I mean, college them. football is always changing. I mean, I wonder how, how many of our
0: listeners remember that there was an 11th FBS conference as recently as 10 years ago, the WAC, and it collapsed. Um, the Southwestern conference was around for 80 something years and collapsed in the early nineties. And the big 12 was born. out I mean, college football is constantly churning and changing, but this isn't a churn and it's not a change. This is a consolidation this is yeah. the top brands realizing for the first time fully that they do not need the other 80% of college football. And maybe they just want to go do their own thing and do a super league. And, and that's, that's not change, That's destruction.
1: So yeah,
0: it's not great.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, like I said, eight weeks until kickoff. And that's why uh, we're jumping into our first little bit of preseason coverage, preseason predictions. Those we are getting of things. close. We are getting close. I'm starting to feel a little bit more. Um, so yeah, eight weeks until kickoff. So what we're starting with this year, um, as we look forward to the 2022 season, we're picking five players, we're each picking five players that will be most important to UCF's success this season. Not necessarily the best players on the roster, not necessarily who's going to have the best season. It's, it's the five players who are the most important to UCF having success this season. Yeah, I think, I think we're going to line up on a lot of them. I think there's a huge distinction between best and most important. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I have some guys on here. Like, I I made a list of like 10 players, and I'm like, well, some of these aren't necessarily like going to make the list of what we're talking about today, but they're better players than some of the guys that are on this list. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. So, I mean,
0: are, I mean, how are we doing this? Are you ranking like here is the most important, the second? No, I didn't rank them. Okay.
1: I'm just going with the five. And I I think we're going to line up on some of these. We'll see.
0: I do think um, there's a clear
1: most important. I think we both agree on that one. So you want to start there? Yeah. You want to start there? Okay. Yeah. Go for it.
0: Um, I think the most important player to UCF success in 2022 is hands down Isaiah Bowser. Yeah. I have him up there. Um, When he was healthy last year and unfortunately that was only for like three games, the games where he was healthy, the opposing defense had absolutely frankly no answer for him. And he just bulldozed opposing defenses. And I mean, that was literally, and he's not a guy who like breaks out for these big 30 yard gains he just chips away at you and chips away at you and chips away at you. And he's that ultimate frustration guy where it's third and four and you just need to stop and he's lining up and you realize there's nothing you're going to be able to do to stop him from getting those four yards. And if Isaiah Bowser, if they can keep him healthy, if they cannot give him 35 carries a game all the time, and if they can have MAR available and Johnny Richardson available and get those guys in there a lot and just keep Isaiah kind of in a bubble and not overuse him. Like I want to see Isaiah Bowser with like five carries against SC State. Like there's oh, just yeah. no reason, you know? And if they can keep him healthy and have him ready for those moments where they need him to just start bulldozing, I think it's just going to be flat out really difficult to beat UCF because they haven't had a guy like that in so long. Who, not, I mean, he also, it's a clock advantage. I mean, he literally can just keep your offense on the field for as long as you want it on the field because yeah. in those short yardage situations, you just can't stop him. You can know, we saw it against Florida. Florida knew in every single one of those situations exactly what UCF was going to do. And this D line and these SEC linebackers still couldn't handle it.
1: Well, that's what's so interesting about about this list and him being on this list and just the the term, like, because they have – UCF has so much depth at the running back position. So, in a way, you could say, oh, yeah, well, like, UCF could still be successful if Bowser, you know, doesn't necessarily have a great season or if he picks up an injury again. Like, they still have the running backs to be successful. But I think that at the same time, like, that's going to make them more successful in that Bowser doesn't have to have 30 carries like he did last year against Boise State. He doesn't have to get broken down like that. And, yeah, I, I just think you have Johnny Richardson, you have MAR, you have, you know, the young guys like Xavier Townsend, Jordan McDonald, you have R.J. Harvey, Harvey coming back.
0: Why can I not remember Townsend? I literally had a list of running backs and he's not on it. You just got to get
1: that, They got to just update the roster with the fall roster. I don't know why I can't remember. They got to do um, it.
0: But yeah, and Um, RJ Harvey Harvey wasn't healthy for spring. So I'm not, I'm not really sure how he's going to factor in, but either way you have so many options that you really can like reserve Bowser for those situations where you just need him to bulldoze, you know?
1: And that's, yeah. I mean, you, and you have him even in, like you say, you want to see him with five carries against SC state. I mean, you maybe look at a game against say Louisville, you don't have to give him 35 carries. You can give him 15 to 18 carries and those are going to be important carries. And you can spell him with Johnny Richardson. who's probably gonna have 12 to 15 carries. It's, it's a lot more of the balance that I think UCF had under Frost and Heupel. Yeah. It's, it's something we talked about before last season where Malzahn doesn't really he's – he's been the kind of coach to go with one bell cow running back. But he doesn't have to do that here at UCF. And he doesn't – I mean, I don't think he had to do it before. But I just – it's the the smarter thing and I, probably the, the better thing to do is to, to rotate and keep your guys fresh, especially a guy like Bowser who – throughout however many years he's been in college now, I think every year has had injury problems.
0: Yeah, and honestly, I get why Gus leaned on him so heavily at the start of the season, because I think Gus felt like he had a cheat code. You look at the Boise State game, UCF went down 21 to nothing. It was looking bleak. And then Gus realized, hold on a minute, we can just give Bowser the ball and they can't do anything about it. And he had over 30 carries that night and a couple touchdowns, over 100 rushing yards. And then against Bethune-Cookman, it's like, well, let's see, we can do it against an FCS team. He had four touchdowns in the first half. Yeah. and then he comes out against louisville gets hurt early and it's like well and then he really wasn't right again until the end of the season so and then he's and healthy think, he gets to rest for a month he's healthy for the gators pummels the gators out of existence so i, I get why the temptation was there to use him that much and i think can't part, of, healthy, so part you have of the reason the it.
1: temptation was also there was that they didn't really know what they had in johnny richardson
0: and i still like, don't totally
1: know if they like i still don't buy johnny
0: as an every down back to be
1: honest i don't with you. necessarily think he is but i don't think he has to be like he if you to. can keep if you can keep him if you can keep bowser healthy. Richardson's the perfect complimentary back.
0: And let's not forget, MAR had some great moments last year. He yes, won them I... the ECU game. I mean, yeah. so you have options. Like like you said, I mean, you nailed it. It's like the situation is perfect because you don't need to play Bowser that much. You have all these other options you can lean on.
1: But at the same time, like the point we're making is he's such a difference maker that he is one of the five most important to them. He's the most success. Important. Like, cause he's, he's a game breaker.
0: If Bowser's healthy and anytime you end up in a situation where you just need to get yards, and you can put him in and get those yards, it's going to be hard to beat UCF. I don't know how else to say it. it yeah. Especially on this schedule, there are not a lot of teams on this schedule that have a type of defense that can deal with him. Right.
1: All right. Well, let's uh, go to the number two. I didn't mean, again, I didn't put this like in any Do hour, we want to so... do a
0: defensive guy now since we just did an offensive guy? Yeah, we can do
1: that. Assuming you have um, a defensive guy. Maybe you think the I offense have... is the most important part. I have three defensive guys. Um, I have um, two, but okay. This will be good. All right. Well, I went with one of them. I went with Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste.
0: I also have Jeremiah jean Baptiste.
1: And it's, it's, I mean, we've talked about the linebacker situation so much throughout the summer and how it is a concern and it is such a unproven position. That's the one guy that you know what you're getting. So he has to be, he has to be that number one linebacker. He has to be the guy that you can count on in every situation. You need him to be healthy. You need him to be, you know, playing at his best and making plays and being the leader of that linebacker group, because the rest of the guys, I, I like some of the guys they've brought in, but, we don't know anything about them beyond what they've done in their previous schools. He
0: more than anyone on the roster needs to be what UCF thinks he is. Because if he's not, then you've got problems. Because I mean, you look at like, like you just said, Brandon Jennings might end up being really good. Terrence Lewis might actually play Jason Johnson might be really good. I I
1: like Jason Johnson,
0: but he's your only guy at that position. And it's always scary when you go in with one guy at the position, who's not an unknown. So he has to be what they believe he is, because if he's not, then you just kind of have to throw your hands up and say, "Well, I hope this works out."
1: And for the record, I think he is honestly. I think he is too. I think he'd be very. I think. I think he's an all-conference type guy. I think he is, and I yeah. I mean, I I have high hopes for him, and I think again, like we don't need to be the dead horse here, but he's the kind of guy that can stabilize the position. Yeah. I mean, he need that's what he needs to do, and that's what I think he can do. Um, Especially, especially the the defense UCF runs. I mean, yeah. And I think in most situations they have two you know true linebackers out there uh, and you know t Well's scheme can get confusing sometimes but i think it's it's typically <laughs> going to be those two guys we were trying to figure it out last week we had was, a whole thing we're
0: sending each other screenshots from games trying to understand the yeah. defense and
1: it was difficult but um, you know good That means no, it's hard just, for the offense too yeah i just think he, he's going to be a huge key and it's especially with as much talent as they have up front as much talent as they have in the secondary they really just need I don't want to say they only need average play from the linebackers, but they just need to have the linebackers to just do their jobs, basically fill their assignments and they will be a really good defense.
0: Well, at the and AAC I think, level, I think the D line has the chance to be elite. I think the secondary yeah. has a chance to be elite. So you really just land on the linebackers. I mean, that's the one just area. Don't be, of don't be really bad.
1: <laughs> I'm not, that's it. Just don't be really bad. Just don't be a gaping hole in the middle of the defense. Like, and with, that's... and with, with him, I don't think that's going to be the case. So that's why yep. he's so important.
0: And part of the reason is um, another way I sort of ranked importance too is like how big of a deal is it if this player gets hurt? Right. And, and it's a big deal if Gene Baptiste gets hurt,
1: so. Very, very big deal. Um, you want to go back to the offensive side? Yep, let's with, do it. Let's do okay. it. I'll, go, I'll let you go here. Okay. Um,
0: we'll start with him. Mikey Keen. Okay. So, full disclosure, we're going to jump a little ahead. I have both JRP and Mikey Keene in my top five most important. And now, while I know that, um, the JRP army has grown on Twitter, I was very sad to see the Gasparilla Bowl enjoyer's Twitter name is now like Jr. John Rice Plumley fan or enjoyer or something like that. I think that's fanatic or something like that. Yeah. He replied to me with, a, with many UCF fans who were ratioing me for a tweet they did not like. And I noticed his name and it was like, that's a damn shame. But, <laughs> um, either way, I still am very much of the opinion. And I think I'm eventually going to be right on this, that both of those quarterbacks are going to very much factor in for things for UCF this year. Um, I expect Mikey to win the job, and I think that if he does win the job, JRP is still going to see a lot of action, and I think he's going to be like that Taysom Hill type for UCF. And you except know, better. except better. And Mikey, for me, it's just like I, I mean, there. You wow, I'm just stuttering through my words because I'm I'm now now my <laughs> brain's so enamored
1: JRP. with Mikey King.
0: Well, I started talking about JRP's so and I say Mikey, and I'm, I'm thinking about JRP's trade. So I'm like, no, no, get back to Mikey. <laughs> I you. It's so valuable in this day and age in college football, because UCF is one of literally the very few teams in the country who legitimately has two starting level quarterbacks on their team like that with the transfer portal that has gotten so rare and having that is so important. Having both those guys is so important. And I think they're both going to factor in a big way. Even if JRP eventually wins the job, it wouldn't surprise me if you still see Mikey in some way, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a game where you need to mix something up and you have Mikey there for it. And you know, JRP, he's a mobile guy, mobile guys get hurt and having a guy who can come into those situations is important. So I just, that one more than anything is just to highlight that whoever ends up winning the starting job, UCF having two
1: starting caliber quarterbacks is pretty cool. Well, this is what's interesting is here's how my brain works. Um, I almost had JRP on my list, but I still, I, I don't have Mikey on my list. Well, it turns out I don't have either of them, but I I still think Mikey's going to win the job, but I still was going to put JRP on the list over him. Because JRP you're going to see either way. Yeah. And Even I think, if Mikey wins the job, you're still going to see, see JRP. If JRP wins
0: the job, you're not going to see nearly as much of Mikey as you were.
1: And I think if Mikey wins the job, how they use John Rice Plumley is going to have a big impact on UCF success. So that's yeah. kind of what was my thinking behind I didn't end up putting him on my list because I went with another guy and I knew we were going to talk about him anyway. But I, I think he's going to be very important. I guess we can talk about JRP too, which we kind of just did. Yeah, so I don't know we're, how we're talking we about both. Well, the thing about JRP
0: to me but... is like, I thought the whole two quarterback thing last year was so stupid because it would be like, Mikey is getting in a rhythm and then Gatewood comes in and can't do anything. Or like, it just got to the point where like, why are we using Gatewood? And I'm like, this is so stupid. Stop doing the two quarterback thing. And then they benched Gatewood for Navarro. And I was like, oh, and it turns out it was actually just Gatewood's not good. So I, you know, I I'm sorry, but I just like it, it just Gatewood could not do that job. And Navarro could. So when you look at the stuff they did with Navarro, and you're like, you throw someone as athletic and fast and shifty and w- with the throwing arm of JRP, and it's
1: like, hold on a minute. Like you can have defenses completely caught off guard. You can throw everyone off balance. What's so unique about UCF situation too is not only are both of those guys starting caliber, but they both have experience as starting quarterbacks. Yeah. Like they last both year started was so- about a season last year was so valuable for Mikey, I think, and in terms of his experience and learning the offense and and seeing game situations. So I think that that's going to be valuable either way. And then, you know, JRP hasn't played quarterback in a couple of years, which I think honestly that like Mikey might be able to help him on some things in terms of I've been here in this offense and seen this in the game here and that, as he kind of reassimilates himself into the quarterback position, but either way, I mean, both guys I think have the chance to be very, very important. And I'm, I'm still like, I'm, I still think Mikey's going to win the job and I still think you're going to see a lot of JRP, but I'm just still very curious about how all this all works out because we are, we're eight weeks from kickoff. And I mean, not that we expected an answer in the summer or anything, but I'm kind of being reminded now that the season's rolling up. It's like, yeah, I wonder how this is going to work out. So I'll say a couple things on that. We We
0: can always be wrong about stuff, you know, but like I, the JRP fans are, you know. The only thing any of them have to say is, oh, the spring game. It's like, you know, there's more to who wins the job than the spring game, guys. And it's weird that people can't figure that out. Um, The other thing I'll say is I have really not enjoyed the whole Twitter thing where every time a photo gets posted of the quarterbacks, people are analyzing where they're standing in relation to the coach and trying to figure something out from that. The other thing I'll say is I think that they're going to name the the starting quarterback pretty early into uh, fall camp.
1: That's my prediction.
0: Yeah, I think so. I could be wrong on that, but. I don't think it's going to be something like we get to SC state and we're still not sure who's going to start.
1: Here's Yeah. probably. I don't think so either. Here's what I do want to say before we leave the quarterback talk is I've been very, I think I've been pretty open about, I want Mikey King to be the starting quarterback and I want to see them use JRP the way they're going to use them. I want to see both play. I want Mikey to be the starter. I want to make it clear. and I think I've made it clear already is that whoever wins the job, I'm happy. UCF has two starting cal- caliber quarterbacks. I get I get to the point where now where I'm kind of worried that so many people are on the JRP train the way they are, as as staunchly in favor of him starting, that if Mikey comes back and starts, people are going to be up in arms and they're going to be – I mean, I know, yeah, you're going to say, oh, yeah, I support him anyway, it's UCS quarterback. But I just get the feeling that they're going to be so harsh on him. Anytime something goes wrong, they're going to be like, oh, see, they're yep. going to be more in favor of their position than they are of UCS quarterback. So where I don't things, want that to be the case. I where don't want things that to be actually
0: stand is that – fan base where things actually stand is that the coaching staff has not decided who's going to start. Mikey has the edge. That's where things stand. In the mind of the fan base, it is a done deal foregone conclusion that JRP is going to start. So I think, and I'm not saying he's not going to be the starter, but it's more likely going to be Mikey. And I think that there's going to be a major like shock to the fan base when that happens. And if they manifest that by trashing Mikey on Twitter or during games, like, I'm not like, that's the thing that like the difference between fans, because people have like tweeted stuff to me. Like, why do you hate JRP? It's like, I don't hate JRP. I think he's a lovely guy. He plays the piano. He seems super nice. And I think that whether he starts or not, he's going to be a very important part of the team this year, but this is a UCF podcast. I cover UCF and my job covering UCF is to analyze the team and tell you what I think is best for the team and what I think is going to happen. What I think is best for the team is that Mikey starts. What I think is going to happen is that Mike is going to start for fans they say I am team JRP and therefore I hate Mikey Keene. <laughs> and you know, I just so yeah, and and yeah. and it's just gonna be frustrating if Mikey wins the job and people are gonna be like that on Twitter. If JRP wins the job, you're not gonna see me go on Twitter and be like, how dare they? I'll be like, wow, JRP really showed them something. I like I hope like people like JRP could be the next Milton. You're wrong, but I hope you're not. I would love yeah. it if he was the next Milton. I just don't see how that's possibly the case, but it'd be great if I it was.
1: I don't think there's another McKinsey Milton out there. I don't think there is um, either. So you've Technically gone with three three guys so far. I've gone I've, four because I gave you, you JRP and Mikey. So I only have one guy left. Oh, and I forgot you had you had Jeremiah yep. Jean Baptiste too. So I guess I'll fill in here with a couple of guys that I have. Um we talked offense just now. Let's go to one of my other defensive guys. It's got Ricky Barber. I did not I, have Ricky Barber, so again. Okay. I think Ricky Barber just I think like we've talked about it too, is is they have a lot of talent up front on the defensive line. I think he's the leader of that defensive line. I think he's a potential game wrecker where I think he had a better year last year than big cat Bryant did. He absolutely did. And I don't think he got talked about enough. I think, you know, well, he's he also a different the, role.
0: I mean, yeah, you know,
1: yeah. But I think he kind of went under the radar of, in terms of, you know, what he was able to do. And I think part of my thinking about putting him on this list is that not only do I think he has the the potential to impact plays and make big plays in the backfield. I think what he does in the interior of the defensive line is going to be so important for, who you have out wide on the on the edges and in terms of creating pressure on the quarterback. Because I think UCF did a decent job of pressuring the quarterback last year. I don't think it was always that good. And of course, you know, if you can get pressure on the quarterback, you're making life so much easier for your DBs who are already very good. And I think, you know, the, the ability that he has to eat up blocks in the interior, I think I didn't put him on the list. I toyed with the idea because I'm a big fan of his, Keenan Hester too. Like those two in the middle, they're going to eat up blocks and create you know, plenty of opportunities for Traymond Morris Brash for, you know, everybody UCF has rushing the passer. So that's, you know, my thinking behind putting Ricky Barber on there, because I just, I yeah. have a lot of, a lot of respect for his role. And I think he's a very good player. That's going to be a big, a big deal for UCF.
0: And for all those guys you just listed is why I didn't have Ricky Barber, because and I'm not saying he doesn't belong there. He absolutely is one right. of the most important players, but it's like UCF is so stacked across the D line that it's like, you know, like if you, if like Ricky Barber, uh, hope to God it doesn't happen, but if he missed a game or went down with some sort of injury, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like D line screwed now, you know, cause you still have Keenan Hester right there. Who's also a game breaker like that. So, but no, I mean, he, he it, it was interesting, like, and I get that just like your edge rusher is always going to get a little more attention, but it's just like, I mean, Ricky Barber had a better season than a big cat. I mean, he was more important to the defense. He was better for the defense. And I don't know how many UCF fans are even fully aware of him to be honest. Yeah. And that's you know?
1: not even to say like big cat had a bad season. It just he got I think shine. it's safe
0: to say that Big Cat had an underwhelming
1: season. Yeah, for what I mean, for what we expected. He was, was sort kind of, of
0: pitched as like, oh, I mean, he was an SEC starter, so he's gonna come in and just, you know, tear these opposing O lines to shreds. And he didn't really do that. I mean, he had big moments and he was good at what he did, but you know. Yeah. Was he even on conference?
1: Uh I can't remember. I don't I not don't sure. remember. I feel like he did I feel like he did get some sort of recognition. I don't think he was first team or anything, but yeah, I could be wrong. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I got, I've got Ricky Barber as my third guy. Do you want me to give my fourth and then we'll go to the last?
0: Yeah, sure. Maybe it'll be the same one.
1: Maybe so. Should I stick on the defense or should I go back to the offense for my final offensive guy?
0: Mine, my final one is
1: defense. So let's go to offense so that I don't run out. Ryan O'Keefe. I I was going to put, I was going to put JRP like he, I was between between JRP and Ryan O'Keefe as my fifth guy. Um, I ended up going one because I knew we were going to talk about JRP, but also I kind of think like. We've, it's weird. We've had this conversation, I think, on the podcast about how what Ryan O'Keefe did last year and the role he played ended up being so important, and that you know, necess- like It was it was such a necessary role for the offense, and it doesn't like, he doesn't have to be the do it all guy again in 2022 because they have more talent, they have more guys around him, so it doesn't have to just be oh, you know, you need to play here goes Ryan O'Keefe. At the same time, I think he's one of the few playmakers on UCS offense that's proven. Because they have a lot of talent, but I don't think a ton of those guys are proven. I know some guys have proven it elsewhere. I was about to say don't... you don't
0: think Kobe Hudson is proven. I mean, he no, I mean he's proven here. it
1: elsewhere, but we don't know. You know, we don't know if it's. I think I think he's gonna be fine. I'm not saying he's not gonna do well. I'm just saying he's the the known commodity in terms of UCF and the role he played last year in terms of getting. You know, he's he's quick. You get him in space, he's gonna find. He's gonna find you a chunk of yards. He can catch passes. I think he's he's just a, a good play. playmaker that. They're going to rely on, I don't think it's going to have to be to the extent that it was last year, but I still think he's going to be pretty pivotal in terms of their success offensively.
0: So I assume that later in the summer, when we close the season, we're going to do our over-unders podcast, which we did last year, yeah. which was a lot yeah, of fun. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we're getting close to that one. So let me ask you right now, if for that podcast, I set Rhino keeps receiving yards and I set it at 650, are you taking the over or under? What did he have last year? He had
1: 812. 650? I'd still take the over. I really? see him. I okay. see him in like the seven hundred range, maybe this year. Maybe he doesn't quite get to where he was last year. But I would point out last
0: year that he was one of two receivers who actually could play. Um, yeah. That UCF had on the field at any given point for most of the season.
1: Yeah. Um, no, but I still think his role is is going to be important. So I would still say over six fifty. Not necessarily saying he's a one thousand yard receiver or anything, but yeah, I could see him getting over six fifty.
0: I'm not saying that, like. I I really don't like that I'm sort of setting a reputation for myself as the Ryan O'Keefe hater. Like I don't really want that to be a thing because this is the second podcast now where I'm kind of uh, casting doubt on him, not shedding doubt. That's not a phrase. Um, I just don't know. Like I think Ryan O'Keefe is really good and I think he's at worst, their second best receiver, but I feel like last year and his stardom was a result of how thin the offense was in the quarterback situation more so than him being a legitimate game breaker on offense if that makes sense. Like he yeah, they needed be, him and he came in clutch. I mean, I mean, he helped win them the, uh, gas brillable, no doubt about it, but I don't like necessarily ex- like, I feel like people are expecting him to like enter that like hall of the top UCF receivers we've seen from recent years, like another Trey Kwan slash Gabe slash Marlin guy. And I don't really see him in that group.
1: I don't think that's necessarily the case. Like, I, I don't think so either, but I, I don't know. I still think I'm trying to find it here. Um, because he he started, like, it wasn't just like last year was just the first time he was ever productive. Like, I think, like, in 2020, he was a guy who kind of started to break out later in the season and proved to be the kind of receiver that, you know, we ended up seeing he was last year. So I don't think it's, like, I think last year that him basically becoming the star of the offense might have been situational. But I don't want to, like, take that to mean that it's not that he's a great player. Or well, and like,
0: that's like the line I'm trying to toe. Yeah, Cause this isn't like, la- no, this isn't it. like last year when I had like legitimate issues with Dylan Gabriel and doubted his ability to like lead the team to where they should be. Like Ryan O'Keefe is really, really good, but I've just noticed this off season that fans are like, I can't wait for Ryan O'Keefe and UCF to be great this year. And it's like, I don't know if he's at the level that he's being assigned by the fan base. I think he's a top three player on offense. Probably but I'm not like, like I said, I, I guess the best way to phrase it is like, I just, I would not put him in the same conversation as Gabe or Traquan or Marlon oh, no, or man, those guys. I and I don't see anything happening this season that would change that.
1: I don't think that's fair either. And no, I don't, I don't think you can put him in that conversation. Um,
0: but it feels like fans no, are.
1: I, you think so?
0: Yeah. If the way they're hyped up for him, I think so. Like, I think fans are expecting him to come out and be like that
1: guy, you know? I guess. I, I don't know. I, I'm, you're probably more plugged in with, you see, like the pulse of UCF fans, and I. This am, is
0: probably but... my worst take. Like he's going to come out and be freaking remarkable, and and be like the utility guy of our dreams. But like I don't know, just from where I stand now, I don't necessarily see as much of the hype as some things
1: do. Yeah, and that's that's where I kind of also want to draw back too. Is that like I have him on this list, I don't necessarily think he's going to be, or I mean, I think he could be. I don't think he like he isn't he isn't now, and I'm not saying he won't be, but I'm not saying that he has to be on that Traquan or that Gabe level. To be a huge part of UCF success this year. I think I don't think so either. In terms of, of what their offense and what they like to do, I think he's going to be a, a key guy in the offense. So that's a malls on
0: offense. You don't really need a guy like that. I mean, it's nice to have them, but it's not like in the hype and frost offenses, it was critical to have at least one elite wide receiver because yeah. that was largely, especially under hypo like your offense, your entire offense revolved around the idea of basically taking big shots every few plays. I mean, Hypel's mm-hmm. all offense was all about like, run up the middle, run up the middle, bring in the defense, shoot him downfield. And, like, you need guys like that. And, like, Ryan O'Keefe wasn't necessarily built like that, but he doesn't need to be. So, like, from that perspective, I, it's not really fair what I'm saying. Like, maybe I just, just shouldn't say this. Like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, mean, I get what you're saying. But I think – the I guess you could say the jury's still out. We'll see what, he, what kind of year he has. Because I don't – I'm not going to doubt that he could be at that level by the end of this year. But I don't know. I would say he's there now. I didn't realize people were putting him in that conversation now. I mean, it just feels like he's kind of, because we don't know who the quarterback
0: is, he's kind of the face of the uh, team right now. Which again, I
1: think in that situation, I think it's kind of fair. Well, it's fair after last season. But, but, and
0: and like, I don't have an issue with that at all, but I think fans are taking that and then applying things to that,
1: if that makes sense. Yeah, I get it. All right, our last one, I'll I'll let you go here with your last one. I wonder if we're gonna, I'm curious to see if we're gonna line up. I don't think we are. Devontae Brown. Okay, I almost had him. this was this was what I was kind of hinting at earlier when I was saying these aren't necessarily the best players on the team versus like the most important um, because I think he is one of the best players on the team and his numbers from last year and his performance last year backed that up. I just didn't include him, but I'll let you talk first.
0: So and that's fine. I, I kind of struggled with the fifth who
1: that fifth one was.
0: but um you know, I feel like we've all been kind of shocked by some of the PFF tweets that have come about, about, about out about him, how he was like, you know, only, you know, the Cincinnati secondary was really better than him last year and how he didn't allow a touchdown, all this stuff. And I'm realizing, cause I'm like, how did I miss this? Like, I didn't feel like he was having, like, I didn't think he was having a bad season, but I just wasn't thinking about him much last year. And then I'm like, I figured out why I wasn't thinking about him. We didn't have to think about him because they weren't throwing near him. <laughs> like, right. I mean, he, he was shutting down a whole side of the field. So it's just, and, and like, once I process that, I'm like, okay, like, I think, I think that we've been underestimating how important he
1: might be to what they're going to do this year. I feel like corners are in a in a way are kind of like offensive linemen in that regard, where it's like you don't really notice the offensive line unless they do something bad. And yeah. so like if a, a corner is getting burnt, there you go. Like oh, you're like oh, well, that guy sucks. And because but if they're good not, enough, like Brown is, they might not even be getting a whole lot of interceptions because they're not going to be yeah. thrown on them. When you're not getting when you're not getting the ball thrown in your direction, and even when you are, it's it's and you're not, if you're not coming up with the interceptions, it's like easy to overlook. a a guy playing tight coverage like you like okay good like good play but like you're not going to remember that by the end of the game so you're not if yeah so that's that's the thing where it's kind of fallen from them the reason I ended up not listing him here is because I think UCF has so much depth at corner I think they have a ton of guys that can come in and contribute and I don't think I'm not trying to say that any of them are necessarily even at his level I just think they could get by but I don't want them to have to get by obviously. Yeah. And I agree. That
0: kind of goes against my point of like, if he, God forbid, got hurt, like there are other guys there who could hopefully take over that role at a similar level, if not as same level going off, what you said, I always found interesting that recruiters and coaches always say that the hardest position to evaluate off of tape is corner, because if they're in high school doing their job, they're probably not even showing up on the, you know, on the tape. Like you're not even seeing them. So it's, yeah. I mean, they are kind of unsung kind of like you talked about with the O line, but, Yeah, I just having a guy like that, you know, who can really own part of the field, I feel like that's critical for this team. And, you know, I think I had to have someone from the secondary on there because the secondary has been such a complete pain in past years for UCF and going into a season where I'm really not, oh my God, the, just the, the, it was so funny because 2020 was a year where UCF had an unbelievably elite offense and a defense that could not do anything and 2021 was the opposite where the offense really couldn't do much of anything and the defense was great. And after watching those years back to back, I have determined that it is better to have the bad offense and the great defense. Because your team scoring and then the other team scoring 5 seconds later and that happening on repeat for 3 hours is one of the most disheartening things I've ever
1: I've ever had to deal with. It makes for fun football for casual or for like for casual viewers or neutral viewers. Yeah, I know it absolutely you're, when does. You're, your team you're just that Memphis game in 2020, it still bothers me. It Even though just, UCF UCF has dominated Memphis in terms of like the overall wins and losses forever, but that fact the fact that that was the game they lost, and I think Dylan threw for like six hundred yards, I was like, I just I don't know how you lose that game.
0: There was a point in 2021, 2021 where UCF scored fourteen points and won. <laughs> that was infinitely more acceptable to me and appealing to me than when UCF scored forty nine points and lost. Like I. When I'm a casual viewer, I want the fireworks. When I am yeah. a fan, I will take the offense that can't really do much if I get a defense that at least keeps the other team from scoring.
1: I'll always take a win. over The back and forth kills me. Well, yeah,
0: I, but you know what I mean. Like, just, yeah. you know.
1: Yeah, no, man, that's the thing. It's, it's well, basically what you like. It's you rather win ugly than lose pretty. And, I mean, anyone would agree with that, I think.
0: Yeah, but I don't even, like, what does pretty mean? Like, is giving up 40, like, even if UCF had won that game, if Daniel Lovarski had made that kick, like, is giving up 50 points pretty?
1: No, but I mean, when you look back at like the, the AAC championship game in 2017, like everyone yeah, like hated that, that game. game because you won, the, because they win the game. It's like, oh, I was an all-time classic.
0: Yeah, but again, a situation, it was a classic game because the defense had a horrible day. <laughs> like, I know,
1: that's, that's when you, you you ignore that whole part of it, is what I'm saying. But I think yeah, casual no, I, viewers, and I'm not acting like
0: I'm some football purist because I'm not, I never even played football, but I think casual viewers don't appreciate a good defense in any way. Shape. No, no, they don't. Yeah. And last year when UCF's offense was really going through it and the defense always came came through, I feel like I'm really appreciating a good defense now a lot more than I may have in the past.
1: Yeah. Um, all right. My last one is somebody from the secondary and I'm going with Kobe Perry. That is an interesting one. He
0: feels like a big wild card because he feels like a guy who might step in and instantly become one of the best players on defense.
1: That's I kind of have that like view of him. And I also just think the role he's going to play is going to be so important. I think he's the guy that T will is going to use in a variety of ways. And I don't know that they necessarily have that many players on the defense where that he can use in that way. And I think he likes to use players in that way. So I think that's why he's going to be so important. I guess it's kind of going in a circle there, but um, yeah, I I mean, I have very high hopes for him. I think, I mean, you have to go way back to the spring, but I think we did our transfer draft or whatever. And I think I ended up with him because I just, I don't know. There was something about the highlights I've watched him or something or just kind of reading about him and then listening to him talk in interviews. I just get a good feeling about him. And I think he's a guy that if if you're this thing is kind of interesting. There's it's I talk to some of my friends sometimes and like they're UCF fans, but they don't necessarily keep up with the offseason the way we do. Right. You and I, I think are a little crazy. I think a lot of our listeners, I think we've kind of have this listener base or fan base that is kind of like us. They're a little crazy. They pay attention to everything UCF, even in April. And, and not necessarily like other people are just like, oh, whatever, I'll pay. I'll go to the games in the fall when that comes back around. But I think people going into the season aren't going to necessarily, some people are not going to necessarily know Kobe Perry's name, but I think he's going to be the type of player for the defense that people are going to by the end of the year be like, okay, that guy's really good. So I've got him. As I agree. Guy.
0: I totally agree. And like you said, I think he's a name that the casual fans. I mean, we kind of have a diehard audience. That's why we do this, but you know, it's the guy, it's the, you're the people who it's July 6th and you know, college football is falling apart and you're listening to how Kobe Perry is going to fit UCF's defense. (laughs) But yeah, I agree. So I just want to say really quickly, I pulled up our draft that we did in um, January of if, so if you did not listen to that podcast, uh, Bailey and I decided to draft the transfers and then end up with all P's. We'll get there. Um, I'll explain it to you. But basically, I don't remember what we put on the line, but it was just a bet of whoever's team has the better performance in 2022 wins. So, your team,
1: the, the K's, yeah. It that's was right.
0: Kobe Hudson, Kobe Perry, Kimori Gamble, and Katie McDaniel. You took all <laughs> K players. Um, given my opinion on everything, I took Terrence Lewis with my first pick, which has not aged well since there's now questions if he's even gonna be healthy for the season. Um, I took JRP with my second pick, which again, and then I took Ryan Swoboda and I took Lee Hunter. So I'm think, not
1: close at post spring. I'm not feeling great about my team. I think JRP, like we just talked about him and how I think he's going to be important regardless. I think Ryan Swoboda might be, might've been your best pick. I agree. Like of my four, <laughs> I think Swoboda is from what we know now is far
0: and away the best pick. You've I got so. a guy who might be the best defensive player a guy who might be the leader in receiving yards and a guy who might start a tight end I mean, and i have a guy whom i have two guys who might not play
1: I so kind of you there. yeah i did not do great <laughs> that's fun to think about um yeah no, well, i think this was fun I don't, I don't necessarily like i don't remember what we put on the line or did we put something online for that because i think we did that and we did the the steak dinner is for the recruits is that the recruiting
0: one i don't remember what we put we must have put something online it was probably chick-fil-a
1: um, was. that seems to be our go-to um yeah. yeah interesting all right well i don't think we're putting anything online here right i mean there's not really any way to no no no, no. Just we're just talking. i mean things. we have the same guys <laughs> yeah that's true that's very true um but yeah no this was fun and then again like this is, uh, i just get so like i know we're eight weeks away but like just the fact that we're talking about this stuff right now it's got me got me in a good mood got me looking forward to the season hurrying up and getting here but we'll jump into the football news now that we've gotten through all of that we've got all of those things like we've covered a lot today we've covered a lot we went from big recruiting news to college football college football falling apart to talking about a season that actually is not that far away Um, but yeah we'll jump into the news here UCF received a big donation last week more than five million dollars committed uh from Sharon and Mark Hagel it's the largest cash pledge commitment by an individual or a couple in UCF athletics history I mean you know Terry Mahajer's got to be over the moon. He's just been asking for money nonstop. We do love since money since he got here. And UCF, yeah, I mean UCF needs money. They're getting a lot of money from that couple, so huge, huge donation there. Um, the UCF target that you met, you referenced earlier was Zachary Toby. He ended up committing to UNC over UCF. That's kind of one that I feel like stings because I just you don't want to lose players to UNC. I don't. I mean I know UCF UNC didn't Mac think- Brown whatever, but.
0: So UCF's grand recruiting strategy this year, for whatever reason, is to be the first visit for these guys to set the tone and to get in there early. And I personally, I think it's blown up in their faces um, because you have all these guys. I mean, Zachary Toby was not the first guy or Tobe, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, was not the first guy who came away from a UCF visit with UCF feeling he was a lock and then went on other visits and forgot about UCF. And what's funny is that the Harris Twins, UCF was their final visit, not because UCF wanted it that way, but because they had to cancel their original visit, which was going to be their first visit. And UCF ended up as well. they made the last... their visit, have
1: they? Well, they haven't made their official visit.
0: No, they took an official un- They live here. They don't need to take an
1: official yeah. visit. And... But I, I saw something, I think it was Stephen Leonard said they're going to schedule their official visit for like the season. And they're going to come yeah. to a game, which. But
0: so UCF well, ended up being their final visit. And look at that, UCF lands them. So I don't know what the hell UCF was on with the strategy of be the first visit, but it's like completely blown up in their faces.
1: So Well, it hurts too, because toby or tobe however however you say his last name he's from Okoe, which is how far away is that like 30 minutes 40 minutes it's it's within that range that ucf wants to keep these guys home and you know you don't want them going to north carolina when they're right there in your backyard but
0: he's not the last guy that it looks i mean braden marshall loved his unc visit apparently and braden marshall is a four-star and another guy who ucf after his visit to ucf felt like they had him locked down then he went and took other visits now we're not so sure so yeah. I like I said I don't know what the
1: hell that strategy was but it has not worked well. So yeah I'll jump to I'll jump to Braden Marshall like Mary four star uh, defensive back he named UCF in his top five along with Wisconsin Nebraska UNC and Pitt um, so we'll see I think I don't remember if he said a commitment date I don't have that down here um, I think he does, said it today but it, he set, oh, he set no that
0: might have been. Right? Um, I don't know if he didn't know. Lamar was, Seymour
1: yeah. did today, I think, So I have that. Lamar Seymour will be committing on July 11th. He's a three-star wide receiver from Miami Central. He has UCF in his top five, along with Penn State, Pitt, Auburn, and Miami.
0: Yeah, I think they're going to lose Lamar Seymour. He's another guy who they thought that they had locked up, and he's probably going to go to Pitt. So, And that's I hope I'm wrong on that, but
1: those I mean, are the guys, that's what you can't. Yeah, you can't have that happening anymore. Florida guys to Pitt. Or to that's UNC. That, yeah, that's the thing that gets frustrating. The whole point of Um, the big 12 status was those guys weren't supposed to leave the state anymore. And
0: frankly, if UCF had been the closer visit and not the first visit, I think those guys aren't leaving. Yeah. You know, these are 17 year old kids. I mean, I mean, it's like, you need to be like, they literally just forget about UCF because they don't want other visits.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And the, uh, the final one we have here as far as recruiting Osceola, four-star defensive lineman, John Walker, he named UCF in his top five along with Florida, Michigan, Miami, and Ohio state. I don't think that one's one that, you know you can really feel good yeah, about that was but. a
0: courtesy thing like i don't think ucf's even sort of it's cool for a guy yeah. that highly rated to have ucf in his top five and maybe it's something other recruits notice but I, he's not
1: gonna end up ucf yeah but again we, we always talk about this as maybe a guy that he could end up down the line you know you keep your your relationship yep good that's with exactly him. right
0: that's why ucf still yeah. recruiting him even though they know that even though they know they're not getting him because yeah he's a guy who maybe he doesn't love that he's not playing and by 2020 by 2024 he's back at ucf
1: yeah um UCF hired Justin Wilson to fill the assistant AD for strategic communications role that was the role left by Dan Horcella um we'll, we're gonna miss Dan Dan is over at FIU now right He went with Scott Carr yep um so yeah J- Justin Wilson comes I think he came from the ACC office if I'm not mistaken I think
0: he was the ACC director of communications
1: yeah which is that's a interesting move I'm sure we'll, well I'm sure you'll probably meet him at some point maybe I will I don't know um Actually, do and, you know, when- Yeah. Uh, And then finally, here we have uh, some former UCF news. Uh, Marlon Williams and Jordan McRae came out winners of the USFL championship with the Birmingham Stallions. Marlon had seven catches for 105 yards and a touchdown was a 41 yard touchdown in the championship win over Philadelphia. So the USFL completed their season, which is cool. And they also got players
0: really good TV ratings for their championship game. Yeah, it was like one point two million, I think. Yeah. I, I didn't watch it. We game, were out. So. Well, Of
1: course, you know, I didn't watch it. We were
0: together. We were at the, uh, that was Sunday
1: night. Wasn't it? We were at the pop yep. stroke over at Waterford. Uh, Bailey
0: and I and our friend, Sarah, um, went to the place that all the UCF players went to that pop stroke place in Waterford. And I must say yeah. it was quite fun.
1: Yeah. Not a paid ad, but it was a lot of fun. Are you interested um, in golf? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not a paid ad. We just went there and thought ad. it was cool. A lot of, a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, is that right, how that cool. paid ad
0: would start? I don't think so.
1: I don't know. It sounds very <laughs> awful. I think they'd give us something better than that, Um, or we'd come up with something better than that. But let's jump over to your Tweet of the Week before we get out of here. Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week this week is going to go to
0: um, one of the most annoying folks you can follow on Twitter, and frankly, someone who you should probably just block. And that is me. I am getting tweeted this week. I forgot about this. So, in my wisdom, back, you know, a whole 24 hours ago when we thought that all the Pac-12 teams were coming to the Big 12, I tweeted, in parentheses, so that it was a whisper. I would honestly prefer that the Big 12 just add Utah, Colorado, and the Arizona schools. Don't need Oregon and Washington. I I have been ratioed by other fan bases before. I've never been ratioed by UCF fans, and uh, <laughs> a lot of them were very mad. I really appreciated Night Fan Adam, who replied, "Sorry, dude, you roasted me for my correct take on the basketball court. So I must pile onto this ratio for the good of the program." And I respect that because we roasted him for a solid 15 minutes on the podcast at one point. So yeah. I uh, I respect it. I understand it. My reasoning behind the take was. A few reasons. First off, I think that if you invite Oregon and Washington, while well, it's going to get you more money in the short term, you invite uncertainty. I like that the big 12 doesn't have anyone who necessarily wants to jump ship. If you bring them in for the next two years, three years, whatever, that's always coming back in your mind that your conference might be the one that falls apart. Second, I'm sorry. 18 teams is too much. I don't need UCF in an 18 team league. That's With way too Washington. much. Look, at, this, look wa- at the map. A league that stretches from Washington to Oregon makes absolutely no sense. So like I know like I mean, Washington I, to Florida. Yeah. A league that stretches stretches from Washington to Oregon makes perfect sense, actually, and was probably great in the 1920s. But a Florida to Washington League makes (laughs) zero sense, it's like I can't rail against how stupid the Big Ten and SEC are being and then be like, but I'm thrilled that my conference is trying to do the same thing. So, no, I think that would be dumb. And like, you don't need 18 teams. And also, do we just have to give up on the idea that UCF is ever going to win a conference title again? Like if you have 18 teams in your league? and that includes baylor
1: and oklahoma state and tcu and oregon and washington and utah it's like that's a lot that's what all these super conferences are going to be so annoying it's just like they're all going to cannibalize themselves and like cool your conference champion finished eight and four are you like your conference champions yeah and sorry like,
0: I, I i'm sorry that i don't want ucf to go eight and four after making road trips in a single season to seattle eugene oregon and salt lake city i'm sorry that i don't think that makes sense but uh Either way, you yeah. guys are all mad. And at the end of the day, you're right. Because if those teams say, we want to come into the Big 12, the Big 12 absolutely has to accept them. So I get ratio it. you yourself? I ratioed myself as well. Um, it was looking dicey for a while there. Some non-UCF fans came in and started liking the tweet. Apparently a lot of BYU fans agree with me. I can't think of why. And um, uh, so it got back. But there was one point where it had like one like and like 19 replies. It was looking dicey for a little bit. But I think, got I it. think
1: it was uh... – Gasparilla Bowl enjoyer slash John Rice Palmley fan just commented just to say just here to contribute to the ratio.
0: Someone replied and was like the like the rare the uh, the uncommon L and I'm like
1: that's nice that is nice
0: that's nice surprising some um, Cincinnati fans might disagree about how well, uncommon it is but uh and yes there were Cincinnati fans in there too because of course there were
1: always there but is anyway you. <laughs> anyway we're gonna get out of here we covered a lot today and we'll cover I'm sure plenty more of about you know college football exploding as a sport and being not being unrecognizable we'll talk more about that next week I'm sure because there's gonna be more that comes out about it but we'll also be back next week on episode 82 breaking down some of uh, UCF schedule we did this last year it was a lot of fun um, I think we've yeah we've done this like post after after the season before but we're doing it before the season for the second straight year ranking UCF's 2022 schedule uh, the games based on excitement level how excited we are for these games so I'm very excited back. for the rankings me too. Yeah, I mean, I would put that number one over all the games. <laughs> um, and so come back next week for episode eighty-two. We covering plenty as the season gets closer and closer. But until then, you can find us on Twitter at Bailey J Adams twenty-two, at By C A Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. Once again, thank you guys so much for being with us, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.